this morning comes from the book of Acts, the second chapter, uh, verses 1 through 8 and 12 through 17. Listen now for the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Start this morning with a question. Have you ever felt like your best days were behind you? That the future couldn't possibly measure up to the past? Or what about the feeling that all isn't as you'd hoped it would be? The present isn't what you'd hoped it would be. There is this great Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. I love Calvin and Hobbes. And there's this great strip in which Calvin, who's the little boy, if you're not familiar with it, he's complaining to his talking pet tiger, Hobbes. And he's complaining that, you know, it's the start of a new decade, but the world doesn't look quite like he expected it to look. Here's what he says. They're walking across a snow-covered field, and Hobbes says, a new decade is coming up. And Calvin, with his characteristic outrage, responds, yeah, big deal, humph, where are the flying cars, where are the moon colonies, where are the personal robots and the zero-gravity boots, huh? You call this a new decade? You call this the future? Ha! Where are the rocket packs? Where are the disintegration rays? Where are the floating cities? 
Hobbes says, frankly, I'm not sure people have the brains to manage the technology they've got. Calvin says, I mean, look at this. We still have weather? Give me a break. Calvin is disillusioned. Many of us can likely relate on some level. Maybe we didn't expect floating cities to have appeared in our lives by now. But we expected our lives to look a little or maybe even a lot differently than they do. And there is nothing like disillusionment with the present to dim our sense of hope for what the future will bring. Perhaps this is not unlike what the disciples were feeling at the beginning of our passage for this morning. After all, many of them had just spent three life-altering years following this Jesus of Nazareth. But our text today is located in the aftermath of Easter. Jesus was gone now, at least physically. He had ascended. And so they gathered for the traditional Jewish feast of Pentecost. But you know there was some disillusionment. For surely they wondered, what now? We didn't expect Jesus to be taken from us so soon. Who will take care of us now? Who will lead us now? There was little doubt among them that their best days were most likely behind them. For three years they had walked the dusty roads with Jesus together, watching the astonished faces of the crowd as he preached and taught and healed lepers and forgave sins. They had listened in amazement as he befuddled the belligerent lawyers. They had sat at his feet when he opened the scriptures and introduced them to the God that they had only thought they had known. They saw him touch the untouchable, feed the hungry, care for the outcast, and heal every kind of need. They'd seen his heart break over and over again in concern for the ways that people misunderstood and misrepresented God. They had seen him transform faith from a perfunctory adherence to the law into a profound trust in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. It was an amazing three years. But Jesus was not beside them in the same way anymore. He had left in a cloud. He had told them weeks earlier that the Holy Spirit would come to be with them, But they had no idea what that meant, or what it would be like, or when, or how it would happen. And so they carried on with things the best they could. And when Pentecost arrived, the disciples and over 130 others were in one place together, trying to regroup and figure out what to do next. And then it happened. Then it happened, and it turned out to be something that even Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, had trouble putting into words. Barbara Brown Taylor describes it like this. It starts with a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And 
and it fills the entire house where Jesus' followers are sitting. Then it bursts into tongues like flames above their heads. But when they open their mouths to shout, Watch out, your head's on fire! That's not what comes out. The Spirit comes out instead, speaking languages that none of these Galileans had ever heard, proclaiming God and God's deeds of power, the latest of which is now featuring them, behaving so bizarrely under the power of God's Spirit that the only explanation that some bystanders can come up with is drunk. Are they drunk? The bystanders wonder. Now, if you've never been drunk, and I'm sure none of us in this room have, you've at least seen a drunk person. Lack of inhibition, lack of coordination, slurred speech, strange behavior. This gives us some insight as to how the disciples must have looked at this extraordinary moment. But they are not drunk as we know. Peter sets everyone straight on that. He's been pretty quiet up until now, but no longer. He steps forward, responding to the Spirit as it moves inside of him, and he sets everyone straight. He says, listen to what I say, all you people in Jerusalem. These are not drunk. It is only nine in the morning. These are becoming the embodiment and the fulfillment of the words of the prophet Joel. Some of you will remember Joel's words. Peter goes on to remind them of the words that we hear from the prophet Joel, about the sons and the daughters prophesying, and the old men seeing visions, and the young men dreaming dreams. That's all because of the spirit, Joel tells us. And no one's left out. Everyone, he writes, who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What does it mean? The people ask in verse 12. Peter explains, it means that nothing will ever be the same. It means that what Jesus has done is for everyone, not just for the Galileans. It means that Jesus is now living in all who call upon his name. Then the people ask the second question. What should we do? They're asking, what now? What does this life in the spirit look like? What kind of life are we to live in response to this life-altering gift? of God's presence that we have been given, to this new reality of God's power working inside each of us who call upon his name. Some of you may be familiar with Flannery O'Connor's paraphrase of Jesus' words. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you odd. Continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you odd. Now, that is a peculiar thing to say, but in essence, that is the Pentecost lesson. 
just as these disciples appeared odd, even drunk, to the crowds as they experienced the Spirit at work, so each of us, through our baptism and the ways that we live that out, each of us is ordained to live a life that the world will call odd. So odd, in fact, that just as those gathered this day to see what was going on, that they will flock to our doors, that they will peep in our windows and through our keyholes and our cracks in the plaster just to see what is going on with us. Some might wonder if we are drunk. Some might call us odd. But we can rest knowing that we are in good company because that's what happened at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was in that place, and everyone within eyesight saw it. Anyone who could hear heard it. Anyone who was open to feeling anything felt it. It was sudden, it was unexpected, and it changed everything. The future was open to them, a future filled with promise and hope and excitement a future greater than anything they could have ever imagined. And so the promise of Pentecost is that the same Spirit that descended that day upon the disciples descends upon us. Whenever we gather in Jesus' name and are sent out in his name, the Holy Spirit is here moving in and among us, causing us in the name of Jesus Christ to be transformed, to be pulled out of our comfort zone, to do odd things in the name of love, to do radical things in the name of peace and justice. Through the power of the Holy Spirit that descends upon us, We work to be the kind of place that does what we see Jesus and the disciples doing in Scripture. Things like feeding the hungry, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, loving our neighbor. We are called through our baptisms to be odd, a peculiar people. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, We are called to be a part of this new family of people who do things just a little bit differently. And the rest of the world doesn't always get it. You see, the Holy Spirit causes us to make sacrifices that other people shake their heads at. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to forgive hurts that others would never consider forgiving. The Holy Spirit causes us to love people that others believe are not worthy of love. The Holy Spirit causes us to give away our resources because we know that we have more than we could ever need and because we know that others are going without. You see, the Holy Spirit enables us to love one another in such a profound and sincere way that people begin to gather People begin to peep into the doors and the windows, 
because they want to know more about us and about this love. You see, with the Holy Spirit, we are given the power to be the ones who are doing life a little bit differently. Ruled by love rather than by our self-interests or our ego. We are called to live the loving life, the humble life, the giving life, the odd and peculiar life. A life that sets us apart from the world and causes others to take notice. And so what does the Spirit look like in our midst? What does the Spirit look like in our midst? Well, I see the Spirit at work in the lives of the men and women who at the 11 o'clock service this morning are about to be ordained and installed as new elders and deacons of our church. For the past several months, each of them has been exploring the call to service and leadership that the Holy Spirit has placed on them. The Spirit has descended in power as they have gone on retreat attended classes, studied the scriptures, prayed together, asked questions, dreamed together about the future of our church. Our congregation has reason to celebrate today because in these leaders we can see that the Spirit is alive and in their faithfulness we can trust that the future of our church is securely in God's hands. What does the Spirit look like in our midst? It looks like them. It is the same Spirit that has been guiding and leading our efforts to transform the future of FPC. Kirk, could you go back one slide? Nope, forward one. Yep, right there. Hundreds of our members have participated in this work. Engaging in conversation. Nope, back one. There we go. Yep, leave it there. Hundreds of our members have participated in this work, engaging in conversations and providing input as we seek to discern what God is up to in our midst and what it looks like to follow God faithfully into the future. If you have not yet spent time looking at transformfpc.org, you have homework tonight. Go to transformfpc.org and take a look at our church's strategic plan and all of the goals and objectives we are working on. Before you log on, ask the Spirit to join you. And as you read, ask the Spirit to lead you to those areas where you might play a part in, the, in God's future for our church. I believe that each and every one of us here has a part to play. What does the Spirit look like in our midst? It looks like you. I'll close with this. In the 10th century, when they would erect those medieval sanctuaries, some churches would leave holes in the roof, which was an odd thing to do, actually, with the rain and the pigeons and what all. But they called them Holy Spirit holes. The town folk ridiculed them, of course, 
But apparently those early Christians did not mind the ridicule because they kept doing it. Why did they do this? Why did they build these Holy Spirit holes? It was very simple. They wanted to allow every opportunity for the Spirit to descend upon them when they would gather. An odd way of thinking, perhaps. But what a sense of expectation. What a sense of anticipation that they must have experienced as they waited upon the Spirit to show up in their midst. We likely can't build Holy Spirit holes here at FPC. It would be a tough sell to the property committee, I imagine. But let's not forget about them. Let's go as far as to try and build them in our hearts so that as individuals and as a community, we are open to that sudden rushing wind coming through us, changing us, challenging us, giving us hope for the future. Come, Holy Spirit, fill us, guide us, give us a hope for the future, lead us.